And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Going for Two, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. Uh, I am your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I am joined here by Brian Fisher, my colleague uh, here at D1 Ticker. Um, we are trying to empty out the mailbags, I think, before we, we head into what's going to be a kind of a weird week for us here. Brian will be in Las Vegas with every single one of my coworkers for NACTA, talking to every single athletic director and industry professional. I will be here, which sucks, but what can you do? Um, Such as life nowadays, unfortunately, but uh, we, we will make up for your absence uh, there in, in Las Vegas. I, I, I checked the weather report. You're not missing anything on, on that front, nope. but uh, you know what? It, it'll be, uh, it'll be some fun. Good to catch up with a lot of folks, especially the ADs that are there at NACT and, and a lot of industry folks, but uh, we will certainly be missing you. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, you just mail me some in and out. Uh, we'll see if we can do any interviews. You know, it, it, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because like a, a few of our colleagues from, from around the country, you know, they're all coming in and that, that was like one of the first things that they mentioned. And, and you know, having lived in, in California for, you know, over a decade and obviously having one literally right down the street from, from my, my place right now, it's just like, eh, all right, in and out. Okay. You know, but it's, it's, so, it's one of those things. And I think this, honestly, this is true for just about all regional fast food. That if it's something you get once every 18 months, because that's the only time that you're in that footprint and you can have a little bit of like mystery behind it, it's wonderful. If I lived next to a cookout, could I potentially get sick of cookout? Yeah, probably. But if I only get cookout once every two years, whenever I'm in North Carolina now, it's it's a fun experience. I live within jogging distance to a Culver's. So I don't really go to Culver's all that much anymore, especially because I'm, I'm trying to finally lose a couple more of these LBs. Um but when I didn't, that was the that, that was a big deal, right? Like when, if you're going up to Wisconsin or whatever, and, 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 you, and you get to one of these things. So that's that's how I feel about it. Like it's a great fast food burger. Is it is it something that I expect to be handed from St. Peter when I go to the pearly gates as proof that I have reached the choir invisible? No, it's just a pretty good hamburger. But um, I, I, I guess I it's the this. same way that I feel when, when, when I go back home to Texas or Arizona or someplace that has a, a Whataburger, you know, I, I guess that, I guess that would be similar in, in the I, same thing. I didn't think it was that good. Uh, maybe, maybe I was, I, I maybe I should have gone at like one o'clock in the morning, but I feel like the, the whole place is like their, their thing is like the ketchup, right? If the, if the condiment is, is part of what you're selling here, maybe the rest of the food isn't that good, but um, speaking of speaking of shitting on Texas here real quick, before we get to some more of your questions, what do you think about this Arch Manning to Texas uh, story, which I'm legally required to ask you about as it is like the biggest recruiting thing before we answer some of your questions? Yeah, I mean, for, for SEO purposes, we're, we're definitely going to get into the Arch Manning <laughs> and we're going to put that in the title and everything. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it's huge for, for Steve Sarkeesian, first of all, you know, in terms of his job security and, and it does kind of amp up the pressure there. I mean, landing, you know, quarterback recruits like uh, Quinn Ewers and, and now Arch Manning. I mean, that uh, certainly uh, provides some job security, but it also raises those expectations through a roof. And, you know, let's face it, it, it it's going to be notable because of the last name. But um, you talk with anybody in the recruiting industry, you talk with coaches, uh, you know, across the country. I mean, the you know, Arch, is, Arch is the real deal. And there, there's a reason why he is ranked so highly by all the recruiting services in terms of uh, where he's coming out. Um, one of the best prospects. I mean, he, he's mentioned in the same vein as the Trevor. Lawrence's and the, and the Andrew yeah. Lux for, for a reason, not just because of his last name. You know, like the, the, I think that adds to kind of the cachet, uh, certainly that he's bringing there to Austin. But um, yeah, and what a move for the for the program itself as it kind of transitions into the SEC. 
see uh, come 2025. I think more than anything, it, it, it provides a, a nice, um, you know, kind of platform for them. And, and I'm sure recruiting is going to, you know, uptick as well. And um, very interesting. I, I think it, this, this commitment in particular also makes things a, a lot, a lot, very interesting because what have we been talking about uh, most of this, this summer, you know, and, and most of the spring, it, it's been Texas A&M and their recruiting efforts. Right. And so now you have Texas uh, making their own shot across the bow. So it uh, definitely makes things very interesting there in the Lone Star State when it comes to recruiting. It's only if the idea that Texas didn't have pressure or like on it before. I, I think, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that the expectations and pressure ratcheted up. This is part of why I think I'm sounding like a hater about all of this, because I mean, one, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, this, this is not my area of expertise, but I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that Manning is not going to be a really great college quarterback. Um, five-star quarterbacks wash out all of the time and high four-star guys too. But guys who have, who are like 0.99999 or, or, or 1.0 recruiting rankings uh, in the recruiting ranking era, they really don't. That's what Vince Young got. That's what Trevor Lawrence got. Justin Fields was very close to there. I mean, of, of all like the 15 people that were graded out that way, I mean, Brock Berlin is like your your worst case scenario. And it's not like he sucked or like Jimmy Clausen. And Jimmy Clausen was a really good college quarterback. So like the, I mean, the, the, that I'm going agree with. What, what my concern would be, one, Texas has not had a problem recruiting elite talent for years. And even quarterback where it hasn't quite been as strong as other places. It's not like Hudson Card sucks. Or I mean, and he was he was a very high four star recruit. They've had several other ones over the past couple of years, and they haven't been able to develop them into polished like high level college players over the last you know eight years, really, right? Um, and then you're saying, okay, so now you've got this enormously high pressure. You're in a, a post NIL environment where now not, not only are our boosters, which are legendarily influential at Texas, but now there are contractual commitments and people paying big checks for people to play. And now one, you don't know whether Hudson or Quinn's going to be your starter. We don't necessarily know who's going, I mean, we kind of know, but there's, there's, there's going to be people pushing for this. I don't know if I can think of a head coach and school combination that I think deserves less of the benefit of the doubt in their ability to navigate high pressure, keep uh, a very talented and conflicted you know, quarterback room happy and still execute than Texas and Texas under Sark, where we, we forget Sark, the play caller. I feel very confident that Sark knows what plays to have make Texas's office offense go vroom vroom. But I know we have some data about what head coach Sark looks like under high pressure environments, and it's not championship caliber. So forgive me for my unbelief. I am, it is a cool story. I hope I hope everybody in in in, in Burnt Orange has a, has a has a wonderful career. But I'm not ready to anoint anybody of anything yet until I see some actual passes thrown and see this team beat Kansas. Right? Like if if you've lost to Kansas twice in the past couple of years, you don't get to you don't get to talk mess on the internet anymore. Like that, that you wait until you actually beat somebody consistently before you get your flowers. I think. Yeah, I mean, talent and resources have never been. Quite the issue, the issue there at Texas. And, um, you know, I, obviously, you know, I think it does kind of speak to, the, you know, what, what the culture has been like these last couple of years and uh, the, the struggles to get that right. Um, you know, I think that really kind of underscores the, the the job that Mac Brown did for, for so many years, just consistently cranking out double digit win seasons. And yeah, they, you know, it kind of fell off the rails there at the, at the end. But uh, I, I mean, you, you talk about the consistency of that program, given that all that we've seen, I, I mean, I, I think there's there's a good, good case to be made that Texas is one of the best jobs in the country, but also one of the toughest. 
you know, you look at the expectations and what they've really accomplished. I mean, this, this, this yeah. is not a, this is not an Alabama type program. When you look at the trophy case, you know, I, I think they, the, the, the idea, the concept of Texas football has far exceeded the actual, you know, results on the field. And yeah, they've, they've won a lot of games uh, back in the days, but in terms of really delivering those, those national titles, those big time bowl wins, um, you know, especially lately, it just has not been there. And, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a very interesting move. I, I mean, let's face it, this is still recruiting. So who, who even knows if, if Arch is, uh, is going to follow through on this, if Texas yeah, goes five know. and seven again, right? So I'm uh, gonna, gonna throw that out there, but like, I, I mean, it, it is it is big for the, for the program. And obviously you expect this is just gonna be the first of, of many dominoes in, in terms of Texas recruiting. And, and like I said, this is, uh, you know, big for the SEC in general. I mean, to bring in a, a Manning to, to you know, uh, just could you, really- uh, Could you imagine a Manning playing in the SEC? Right, in this, I know. In this economy? But yeah, I, I mean, if you're deal. ESPN right now and uh, you're, you're looking at uh, Texas joining the league, uh, you know, in, in 2025 and having a Manning uh, going to play Old Miss, going to play Texas A&M, uh, going to play Oklahoma and, and have that, those games on your on, on ABC, you know, at 330 or, uh, you know, in, in prime time uh, on ESPN. Like uh, that, 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 that's big, you know, for, for a, a company like that to who is paying a lot of money for those SEC rights in the in, in going forward. And, um, you know, let's face it, I, I think more than anything, it, it you know, you just hope that the kid can handle all the pressure. You know, I, I think that that is the the bottom line for, for me is um, he, he's got a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot on his plate just because of the, that last name. And it seems like he's been handling it pretty well. But uh, you never know when when you're in front of, you know, 100,000 people every Saturday and uh, you, you don't have the best of games, um, you know, it, it can certainly wear on you. And, and we've talked a lot about mental health and, and, and issues surrounding that for, for a lot of athletes. Well, this is about the highest profile athlete you can have coming into college that we've seen probably since even more so than, than, than probably Tim Tebow. So it's uh, it's going to be a, an interesting story to track. And, and certainly as happy as Texas fans are, they, they know that this is hopefully going to have to translate into wins uh, for it to pay off. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about the ESPN component here, but but just for fun, looking at the, the top quarterback recruits for 2023, which I, I think is, a, is supposed to be a pretty good year, at least on the top end. Well, that, that's, a, that's the other thing that, that I think this 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 quarterback commitment is is notable for is, is just the fact that we've had some kind of kind of down years, I guess you could say, in terms of quarterback recruiting. Um, you know, really, you kind of go back a couple of years. Yeah, there's Oof. like the Trevor Lawrence class, and then it really kind of trailed off. They're not really those elite prospects. We saw it kind of have that domino effect toward the NFL, you know, this, this past year in the NFL, that not quite that can't miss prospect at quarterback. The same is, is true in recruiting. You just have down years in terms of uh, the, the crop of high school seniors that, that are graduating and, and uh, maybe not uh, quite having the measurables or quite having the, the film. And, and I think that's certainly not the case uh, come 2023 because um, th- this is, this is far from, from all, although Arch has that perfect score in, in, in terms of the recruiting, there are a lot of other very good quarterbacks. Uh, we obviously saw Notre Dame's in for one Michigan's in for a couple, like this is a, uh, a lot of programs are kind of right hitching their their wagon, so to speak, to this class of 2023 because there's there's some pretty good prospects in it. There there are, but but you know, on that note though, just kind of thinking about this from a media rights perspective, right? Arch Manning's your top your top guy right now going to Texas. Malachi Nelson, number two, Los Angeles kid, in like number two prospect period, USC, um, and uh, Lama Lama uh, the <clears throat> the other other five star quarterback, like very close in, in terms of like all three of these guys, Tennessee. So that's a second SEC person. Uh, Dante Moore is like, I think the only guy uh, in the top 10 who's in the Big Ten footprint. He's right now likely to go to Oregon. But then you've got Oklahoma and Alabama and South Carolina, all likely to grab top 10 uh, quarterback recruits here. The Big Ten is not slated to get a single kid in the top 10 for quarterbacks. And guess, guess what school currently has number 11? 
it's your, your top ranked quarterback in the Big Ten for this class. Guess what school has them? I don't think you'll get it right. Uh, I'm going to throw up Penn State, maybe. Nope, Purdue. Um, with uh, with Ricky Collins, a Louisiana kid. Um, Ohio State, like Penn State, does has somebody who's like ranked 22nd. Ohio State might be getting a three star kid in this class. Like it, it is, is this is a, a a on the high end. Great quarterbacks, they're all going to the Pac-12, which is good for that conference because the they need their high end guys to to get high end talent. The high end ACC and the SEC. Uh, not to say that that like I mean like I don't know if that matters you know big picture media wise Ohio State signed a stud quarterback last cycle so did Michigan but yeah I mean this all, is this almost the, all ESPN uh, the latest you know, in, in a long line true of of uh, 2022 kids 2024 kids there's there's a lot of highly regarded prospects so it's like um, you know a nice little quarterback boom right now and, and it, it's going to be interesting too not not just throwing NIL and all that stuff in there but basically a lot of these guys are, are walking on campus expecting to start right away as, as true they freshmen have to. you know and and if not they're, they're transferring so it's like you you mentioned the those Big Ten schools not uh, not necessarily getting in this might be the first crack of the apple at, at getting some of those talented quarterbacks on campus you know they, they might not pan out at the, at the school they're committed to right now but they could still end up at, at a big school down the road uh, knowing that those there might be some openings for some starting quarterbacks who uh need, need some filling and, and maybe some of these guys end up doing that that will i there's no might about it that that's just the way that this looks like every every year like there's somebody in the top 10 if not multiple somebody's in the top 10 um, or are going to, to to end up transferring, right? Like, you know, look, looking at like the, I think the last cycle we, we've got anything here with like 2020 uh, and, and under quarterbacks, like is Hudson Card going to end up transferring if he's not your your starter at Texas or or, or, or Jackson? Like, yeah, probably. Or um, you're, you're going to have some a high level guy at Washington leave if they haven't. I mean, the, the we've already had people leave at, at Oregon and AM. Like, that's you can't keep three top 50 quarterbacks in one room anymore. Um, the second one guy has to wait more than one year, they leave. Uh, and that that's not a criticism or anything. That's why you and, and that's why if you're Texas, sign as many really good guys as you can because you even if you it's better to have them and then lose them than to not get them at all. Like that's that's where we are. We can talk quarterback dominoes a little bit more, maybe in a month or so as we get into some conference previews. We have a better idea where everybody's going. We did want to take this chance to answer a couple of other mailbag questions. We haven't done that on the podcast in a minute. We've done it with the newsletter. So we had a couple of questions that people submit, sent to me from the newsletter that we haven't had a chance to, I haven't had a chance to answer yet. And a few other ones uh, that we got here on social media. Um, I, I, as you can imagine, some of those are going to be realignment ish, but I want to hit one that kind of dovetails into my recent reporting on the EA sports video game. This comes from uh, going for two listener, new handle Dre who asks, how's the copyright stuff work for like a Kanye song or even Disney properties, like the school band playing the Imperial March from star Wars. Great question because um, as you would imagine, the, uh, the, the people that own the copyright to Kanye's music are not, Oregon is not Oregon State football, even if Oregon State or BYU or whoever plays Kanye song pregame. <coughs> the reason this is coming up is because last week I reported that EA Sports has asked participating schools to submit this big old spreadsheet of musical assets uh, that they use during games. So if some of that's going to be your fight song or the equivalent of the Oklahoma band playing Boomer Sooner 700 times over the course of a broadcast, right? You know, it asks you to fill in when you typically play things, but also what music you might play during the third quarter. Um, many schools, well, you know, like, like Wisconsin's going to play Jump Around. 
And, and so like, that's going to be part of it, right? Or maybe you play Sweet Caroline, maybe you play Seven Nation Army, maybe you play a couple of particular songs as part of the pregame experience every single time. And EA is like, we wanna make the most authentic thing possible. So send us all of that. The reason they're asking people now, or, or, or to be honest, when, when they asked like last March, so a couple of months ago for this, is because EA is actually planning on spending the money to clear copyright for as many of those as possible. So then the way, as, as I've been told from on the, the school and, the, and the, the EA side, is that schools send all the assets right now, and then EA is going to spend the next 12 months figuring out what they can afford and you know, how they can go through clearing houses to allow that. So you're going to hear some you know, actual bands, like their music, if, if it's part of like the pregame broadcast, like EA's, the, the Electronic Arts and CLC, they're going to pay to use that. Will they be able to do that for every like Disney, just like Darth Vader song? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe because because Disney's kind of in bed with this project. Maybe they cut him a break. I don't know. They're, they may not be able to get everything, but that is the advantage of being an extremely wealthy, gigantic video game publisher. Is you can you can you can pay a couple of extra bucks so you so you can hear "Don't Back Down" or "Won't Back Down" if you're playing on Florida. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. and I think the, the soundtrack was, was one of the best parts of the old NCAA yeah. video game. Right. And not just the, the school fight songs, but uh, listening to some, some recent music, you know, that was a good exposure. And nowadays, you know, especially because of the way things are, you know, you can turn some of those soundtracks into, um, you know, purchases and, and, and send, you know, send people to other stores. So like it, it, it's a revenue opportunity for, for EA as well. So I, I think that's, that's going to be, um, you know, interesting to, you know, a subplot, I guess you could say to this game is, is, uh, you know, kind of curious if, um, you know, they're, they're going to, license all this if they're they're, they're going to kind of focus on on some some major brands and just kind of go from there but um it, it's definitely going to be something to um kind of kind of think about uh, for, for them but at the, the bottom line is if you're playing this game i, I think you're going to be ecstatic about just the re reality and, and the the feel that it, it's going to have um not just getting very realistic not just invoking those those old memories of, of playing the games if you're you're old enough to to uh, ha have an old copy but like um you know just just getting into the atmosphere and and I, I think they're, they're going to do a great job in terms of making sure that that pops, uh, especially on these these new next gen consoles that, um, you know, they, they can turn the realism setting up to 11. Yeah. I mean, so to give some specific examples, uh, I know, for example, when Kentucky uh, submitted their paperwork and I got this through an open records request, got it confirmed. I guess if you're watching a Kentucky game in Lexington, other team commits a penalty. You hear the law and order dun dun sound. Right. They have asked EA to pay for the law and order sound. I don't think they're the only school that does that. So maybe you can get a discount by licensing it across a couple of different, you know, uh, uh, venues that that level of realism is there. Like I, I, I talked to BYU today and they said, yeah, we asked for to license multiple Kanye West songs because we play those before the game starts. And I know when I know when I think of Kanye West, I definitely think of Utah County. Um, <laughs> but right. I, I mean, actually, I mean, increasingly, that's not a joke anymore in a couple of different ways. But um, like they said, you know, that was that was part of the deal. I'm trying to find out a few more of these because I know fans are interested in them. But chances are, if you've been to your home stadium several times, you can probably guess what kinds of um, licenses they're asking for. As I get more of these, I will report them on extrapointsmb.com.
Yeah, and, and um, I think related yeah. to that too is is just uh, speaking of the realism factor. What what I can't wait to see you mentioned you know, playing jump around. You know, like like seeing that and, and how they kind of bring that to life, or or the lighting of the torch at the Coliseum uh, when when USC plays it. You know, at the end of the third quarter, like some of those real cool like uh, moments that you have at stadiums that uh, really add to the atmosphere. Um, you know, that, that that's what I'll be looking for. Those yeah. kind of moments. Yeah, th- th- these are examples of some of the kind of things that. I think honestly, the franchise did pretty admirably on PlayStation Two and PlayStation Three. Like Given the technical some, limitations, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I was talking with somebody who was at Boise State, like a licensing person there. Like, look on the PS Two, we had some like random home remodeling company like park a trailer in our like on one of our sidelines of like an unfinished living room to sell furniture, and people could watch the game in there. We managed to render that on a PS Two. Imagine what kind of goofy stuff we could do on a PS5. Because uh, you you couldn't do that with some of the audio assets. You couldn't render the rest of the stadium the entire the same way. And uh, I can't promise you, but the gameplay is going to be perfect. I wish I could. I don't work for you yet. They haven't given me a demo yet. Um, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com if you want to do that. My gamer, t- you know my gamer my gamer tag. But I, I do I do feel pretty confident saying it's going to be very realistic in terms of trying to take. The experience that you get at your stadium, whether you're at App State or Akron or Alabama, and re-render it to your Xbox. In non-video game questions, um, this was, I think, a, a pretty interesting one from reader Kenny C. asks, Due to the increasing frequency of major weather events and rising temperatures later in the year, have any schools started looking at renovating their stadiums to mitigate those issues? Not every team can kick off at night. The answer to that question is Yes. One place where this is coming up more is in is in new building construction. And this varies a little bit depending on where you are. If you are in a potential floodplain area or right on the coast, um, are are the is this coming up in, in your building management plans more than it would have in 1983? Yes. Like we, 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 you have to model what happens to the structural integrity of this facility if sea level rises you know, by X, Y, or Z or global temperatures rise by 1.5 C in 15 years. When you're building this, you want it to last for 30, 40, 50 years. That's something you have to think about. The kinds of, of, of building material that's used, both not just from a sustainability perspective, but in terms of being able to dissipate heat, I have also been told is a, a regular conversation. Now, how you can retrofit and make changes to existing facilities is a challenge, especially on the football side, because, um, Brian, I know you know this, but many of our listeners might, might not. A lot of these stadiums are just stupid old. So many college football stadiums are built right after World War One or World War Two. You know, some of these were like, you know, Works Progress Administration, you know, get, you know, kind of, you know, FDR helped build these things, right? And so while you've added luxury boxes and Diet Pepsi machines and some other places, the the, the skeleton of the building is a hundred years old. And so there's only so much you can do with some kind of concrete without re- redoing the entire thing, which I can tell you the appetite for doing that right now is 0% anywhere. Cause this is a terrible time to build a stadium. Um, this is a time when you, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can put it off 15 years, you're going to try to do that with inflation and shortages, not just in supplies, but also labor. Like you want to try to postpone some of those things. You may have heard differently. One concern that I have had raised to me by some administrators beyond just trying to change the actual building themselves is what can we do to give ourselves additional flexibility in our schedules, particularly for football, particularly in the Southeast uh, or East Coast, because not just hurricane season, which is going to be a thing every year now, but also thunderstorms. 
and just high rain and high wind and lightning can 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 postpone or cancel or change almost any game on the schedule for the first six weeks of the season. And so if that means, you know, trying trying to build in some flexibility at the beginning of the year to move a conference game um, or some flexibility to potentially play a game on a Sunday, if you absolutely have to give them a stadium availability, those are questions being asked more. Um, what else have you heard on this front? Well, I, I would just say, you know, for, for the folks that are in operations and, uh, you know, kind of tasked with, with coming up with plans for a lot of that, I mean, a, a lot of it's just kind of out of their hands in terms of the building itself, you know, and not just the being old or, or you know, having having issues with, you know, sewer lines and all that. But like, honestly, it, it, it's mostly a manpower issue. You know, when, when you have police or local resources that are diverted to storm preparedness or, or you're making sure that uh, people are right if there's a hurricane coming or, or things like that. Uh, I mean, honestly, that, that that's the biggest trip up for, for a lot of these games, not necessarily if they're like, stadium is, is ready to host, you know, 50,000 people coming in. So I, I think it's kind of important to keep in mind there's just like the, the human element and, and the local um, infrastructure element that, that also has to be considered. And um, yeah, I mean, in terms of new new stadium construction is absolutely a big deal to not just make sure that, you know, they, they can withstand, you know, being, being around for 50 years, but withstand the elements and, and withstand uh, even greater elements that, that we're even kind of looking at right now, given, given you know, sea temperature rises and, um, you know, everything that, that's going on with global warming. So uh, it, it is definitely being considered. You talk with folks at uh, a lot of these architecture firms, you know, they're kind of baking that in, in terms of the design of, of a lot of these buildings. And, you know, you're right. You know, a lot of, a lot of stadiums are just old, you know, almost too old to kind of retrofit at, at this point. And so, um, you know, finding space for, for new, new avenues. And, and uh, I mean, even go, you go across the pond and you look at some of the difficulties they have in terms of rebuilding some of those stadiums across Europe, same thing here in terms of football, basketball, you know, volleyball, they're smaller. Like, yeah. I mean like, you know, various, uh, you know, pretty much any, anything you can consider any, any building that's going up on campus is, is definitely, um, you know, looking at, at a lot of this stuff and, uh, as, as much as you want to mitigate it and, uh, and, you know, try to put some of that, uh, the ultimate limiting factor, a lot of times it's just, frankly, you know, making sure those, those local resources are there to, to host, uh, that, that amount of people on your campus. And for, for a lot of these schools too, I mean, they, there's been discussions about, you know, particularly in, in football is, is maybe starting a lot of those, you know, schools in the Southeast because of the hurricane season, uh, a week earlier, you know, at, at week zero building in that flexibility where, yeah, they would have two bye weeks, but because, the way the schedule falls, you know, there, there's the possibility to where they would have to, you know, shift some of those games to later in the year and, and take away those those bye weeks. Uh, it, it's something that comes up every single year, you know, especially yep. along those schools uh, for the coast. And so, uh, mitigating it as, as best they can, but but also, you know, trying to you know, kind of plan ahead is, is is a challenge for pretty much every administrator on campus, uh, come football, basketball season, whatever it might be. Wasn't it was it last year or the year before we had a game at the beginning of the year in Fresno where like sneakers were actually melting. Because it was so hot at 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 field level. Well, I mean, in, um, in Arizona, you're not you're basically it's it's like a local play. ordinance. You can't even play, and so like the, that's something that they deal with. Uh, I, I know it's a, a sense of frustration at times, but uh, cer certainly for a lot of these schools, you know, you just got to deal with the local elements, uh, you know, especially early in the fall where it is so hot. Uh, even even later in the year, I mean, heck, we we're, we're only a couple of months removed from you know Gene Smith and, and a few uh, folks in the Big Ten, you know, complaining about through the college football playoff expansion, you know, the, the weather elements, you know, and, and hosting the, some of those games. Games in the, in the middle of December at some of their stadium, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum for sure uh, compared to hurricane season. But it, it's something that everybody considers. And uh, they, there's meticulous planning involved in, in a lot of these elements and, and having those things and even things you, you wouldn't think about. You mentioned rainstorms earlier. I mean, like 
where your donors going to do if they're they're tailgating outside and there is you know some massive rainstorms for three or four hours you, you don't want to ruin their experience of, of coming to a game hopefully spending some money on, on concessions and then uh, writing a big old check for for donations later on after after you get that big win over a, a ranked opponent like thinking about how you can kind of plan for things as well and having those alternatives um is, is something that uh, pretty much every school in the country is, is uh, doing for on a, on a pretty consistent basis Speaking of things that are very old and maybe difficult to change, let me quickly uh, highlight our good friends at Home Field Apparel, the manufacturers of unique, extremely comfortable collegiate apparel uh, de using designs from yesteryear, including designs that you might have forgotten. We've waxed Rhapsodic on this program about the new designs at TCU. A++++. Arizona, A++. Clemson, as strong as it could possibly be given that color scheme and given everything about Clemson, excellent, right? I'm wearing a purple shirt here right now. I'm wearing my uh, Washington, bow down to Washington shirt. We've got the, we've got, this is a, a very pro dog. Good dogs, good dogs today. Um, showcase. Big fan of this shirt because my daughter is attending elementary school whose mascot is the Huskies. Um, and they are very excited to see the, the, the good dog here on my chest. Um, they're not dogs this week. They are, uh, they are Cougars of Washington State, which I think we've all established is everybody's like at least third favorite college football program because uh, Pullman exemplifies everything that is extremely college football about college football. It's in the middle of nowhere. They play weird hours of the night. Bizarre things happen to them. They have a they have a, a campus creamery that makes outstanding cheese, and they'll mail it to you in like a little tin. Um, are they going to win the Rose Bowl? Probably not, but they look really cool, and they've got some really great designs. And you should go to homefieldapparel.com and you should go buy some of them, uh, like I will, uh, even though I have uh, I have promised to stop buying Homefield stuff. So please go to Extra Points and buy a subscription so I can afford to buy some more t-shirts to, to feed my, my addiction here. And then also when you go buy your own t-shirts, which you should do because they look great, use promo code extra points. All one word, save 15% off your order. Should, uh, let our friends at Homefield know that we're good partners. So they should give us money, which we should then exchange for Homefield stuff. It's the foundation of the global economy, right? Absolutely. And, and finally, Kuganet has a positive connotation this week. That's right. That's right. People, people forget that. Yeah, I, I recognize the irony here of me shilling for Washington State while I'm wearing a Washington shirt <laughs> right now. Um, to Brian Such is life because we just don't, we just don't, we just don't care. You know, like uh, we, we only care about the the soft shirts and uh, everybody using our, our promo code extra points. That's right. I I, lo I love everybody because my alma mater is not yet licensed by Homefield Apparel. Yet, um, we'll we'll see if that changes. Uh, anybody at American University, if you're listening, um, also please get on Homefield, and I will be your most enthusiastic uh, salesperson on twitter.com. A um, couple other questions we've got here. Uh, reader Eric asks, I know you guys discuss a lot of conference realignment, but after the dust settles from this wave, this is a slightly different question. Which G5 conference do you think will ultimately be able to get the largest TV contract? Will it still be the American post the departing institutions? This is a good question here. And what I can say is I know what the American is saying, and I know what people in the television industry are telling me, and they're not the same thing. What, as best as I understand it, everybody from the American and public has said, we believe our ESPN contract that runs through the end of this decade will remain the same, despite the fact that the three of our three best programs have since departed, and we have now replaced them with a, a bunch of 
mostly very developing programs that do not have anywhere near the established fan base of Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. Part of this argument is because there's there's simply more schools. So it's more conference inventory, and, and like that will be the make good for ESPN. I understand that argument is theoretically possible. I haven't seen the deal. I'm not Burke Magnus. I didn't write these things right. So if they're saying this, I don't. They may not be lying. They may very well know something that we don't. That's which happens, right? The other people that I've talked to in the television, like in the media rights industry, both other athletic directors who have you know, considered being a part of the American or work for companies that produce valuations or, or that check this kind of thing. The here, what I've heard from that group is there's no way in hell that you can keep that without some significant concessions on some other ends because the inventory, even if you have more of it, is simply not valuable. Um, and even if you're throwing all this stuff on ESPN Plus, guys, even when UCF was playing on ESPN Plus, those broadcasts were bringing in four or 5,000 people. And the number of people that are going to go watch a Tulsa um, North Texas game on ESPN Plus, it's, it's going to be a thousand people. It's going to be a very, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, ti- a tiny audience and it will take a long time for some of those other developmental brands to grow. And so, you know, given what we know what other brands are worth, that wouldn't be worth six and a half, $6.8 million or whatever the actual distribution is. Who's telling the truth? I don't know. We'll keep filing FOILs and we'll look at the FRS reports, but that's what I've been told on the American side. Does that jive with what you have been hearing? Judging by your, your facial expression right now, I'm assuming yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same conversation we have with the Big 12, right? You know, after Texas and Oklahoma depart, are ESPN, Fox, et cetera, when they go to the table, are they going to still get the same amount? Uh, no with, chance. Without those? No, no chance. No, no, they aren't. And so I think that is kind of the story when it comes to kind of group of five. And, and obviously the Big 12 rights coming up is, is just kind of how much they can get. And if you know, if, if they're if they're level, I mean, they will be lucky as can be uh, in order to get to get that. And, you know, on, on the bright side for a conference like the American, you are bringing in schools that ha- have invested, you know, recently in, in their football programs, you know, like they're, they're in located in major metro areas that are uh, tend to be growing. Like there's there's a reason why, um, you know, people want to go to school there and, and uh, their, their universities that uh, have had some some success you know in the, in the past and so kind of have you know put that on the on the plate and try to try to guss it up as as, as nice as you can get but it, it's just not going to come close to um you know having it you know especially have the having the success recently that the cincinnati's the ucfs of the world ha- have had and um you know I, I would imagine that there will be some concessions made I, I would imagine if you're the american you're, you're probably looking at extending your your current deal with espn until the 2030s if nothing else to, to kind of put in some grant of rights and, and some negotiations around that yeah that's already not a good deal but yeah but, uh, you know, like ESPN holds the cards here. And, and, and to me, the more interesting thing when it comes to a group of five rights, um, you know, in particular is, is ultimately what, what, what is the Sunbelt going to get? Cause you talk about a you know, kind of a conference that is on the way up, um, you know, when, when they come back to the table, uh, in, in a couple of years, how, how are they viewed or are they going to be kind of that, uh, that second or third best, um, you know, group of five conference. And, and I, I think more than anything, it's also important to kind of keep in mind that no matter what happens in terms of the media rights component, a lot of these conferences are still going to get a bump in terms of their college football playoff revenue uh, payouts. So yeah. uh, at least it, it, it's made up for a little bit, but it's still just going to pale in comparison to the Big Ten schools, the the SEC schools, even even the Pac-12 and the ACC. There's going to be such a wide gap, and I, I think that's why. Frankly, there's there's been so much talk, especially lately with the transformation committee over ultimately what is 
kind of FBS football? What is FCS football? What is Division One? You know, like the, these, these are kind of uh, questions that are all kind of interrelated. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see kind of play out, and especially as these media companies make that transition uh, more to a direct to consumer model. Are, are they really going to value, you know, a, a fan base like Rice as, as much as they would knowing that they have uh, a bunch of TV households in, in, in the Houston uh, market? Probably not. So that, that's the other thing to kind of keep in mind. The other, I think, an, an important question about media rights here to me, the final number is is not as interesting to me as the exposure and the kind of concessions that have to happen. Because like even when outside of the AAC's deal, whether it's the Sun Belt, MAC Conference, USA, whatever, like best case scenario you're looking at, if you're not Boise State, like maybe two and a half million uh, per institution per year, and that might include that might not include production costs. So you might have to set aside some of that to actually like run your facility and send out cameras and everything, which is the case for the for the American. That's the case for a lot of ESPN Plus kind of uh, productions. So you're right. The, 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 you're getting more money from the college football playoff, or perhaps potentially your MMR or, or other you know distributions than you are television. The the the, the television difference. Some belt CUSA, some belt MAC, some belt media and MWC team. Not exorbitant. What maybe what the, the, the telling thing though is how many of your games are going to be on linear television on channels that people actually have versus streaming? How many of your games that are on streaming are on platforms that people actually have um, and can easily access versus um, versus others? Right? There are it's it's different to have your stuff on ESPN Plus in terms of pure accessibility than it is Paramount or Flow or Facebook, or, or some other potential third-party platform. What do you have to concede to your, your TV partners in terms of kickoff time control and kickoff date, right? The Mac has to play half their conference games on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is nice for television exposure, sucks for anybody that actually wants to go to a game, and also sucks for the weather, right? Not a lot of people live in Bowling Green, Ohio, and they typically would have to drive two hours. And nobody doing that on a Tuesday. So, you know, the, the television looks like a terrible high school production, even like really good conference games are there. If you, maybe if you're the American of the Sun Belt, maybe you have a little bit more clout to push for something different. If you're the Mountain West, you've been told you're playing at night and you're liking it. And we don't care that it's negative five in Laramie and that people have to drive, you bring chains in their truck for the drive home to get through the snow and everything, because this is where you fit with, with our broadcast. So I think it would honestly be in the, the best interest of like a, a G5 league that wants to say that like they're the premier uh, league for football. And quite frankly, like I think over a five-year period, who the premier G5 football league is, is I don't know. Like just for anybody to say like one has an overwhelming advantage over the other, I, I think you're being partisan. I don't think there's a gigantic difference the way these are laid out right now might change in a couple of years right but th there i think it would be it would be in their best interest to say we retain the most control and have the most exposure versus the most money because we're going to come down very soon where you'd much rather have access to more out households and sell more tickets they get an extra three hundred thousand dollars from espn and who who wins that i don't i don't know the answer to it yet but that's a, that's a more interesting question and, and a question that's uh, going to affect the Power Five level. I mean, you look at the Pac-12 in particular. I think that's uh, something when when they're currently kind of at the table with with a lot of their media rights partners already in terms of the, some of these early discussions. But like kicking off those those late games. I mean, uh, definitely a sore point for for a lot of Pac-12 schools. When as, you know, if you're Oregon, 
you have a lot of your fan base coming from Portland a couple hours away. Yeah. Like those, those seven thirty kickoffs, you know, even at five, five o'clock, that, that's tough. You know, you're, you're forcing a lot of folks to, to probably get a hotel, uh, and you know, in which let's face it, there's, there's limited amount of those, um, in, in places mm-hmm. like Eugene. And it, it, it's just, it's rough. It's rough as an athletic department when you're talking about donor relations, um, obviously selling tickets, uh, not just in terms of your walk-ups, but your season tickets, making sure that they're, they're arriving and, you know, filling those seats and, uh, you know, spending money on concessions and, um, you know, taking back some of that control is, is definitely going to be a part of the discussions, uh, surrounding the PAC 12 and, and their, um, you know, packages that they're going to end up selling. And, uh, you, you can definitely understand that they might take some, some added flexibility, even if it's coming at the cost a little bit of that exposure. That's, that's exactly and, right. um, and so I think that's, that's going to be a big thing for George Klyovkov, but it's, it's also going to be something for the SEC. I mean, this is the reason why they kind of push to kind of go all in with ESPN. It does allow them to kind of set some of those game times a little bit earlier. Obviously they'll have a, a number of different slots across ESPN and ABC. And so, um, you know, for, for teams that uh, maybe they would have gotten stuck with that 7:30 kickoff, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, now you can at least kind of mitigate that because you can plan a little bit further ahead. I know they've, they made a big deal when they announced that, that they would set kickoff times much more in advance, no more seven or 10 day windows like they have been kind of used to. And so yeah. that's, that, that, that's a big thing though. If, if you're those athletic departments, just from a planning standpoint, if you're a season ticket holder, that, that's a big thing. And um, you know, that is kind of the, the great promise certainly of streaming is that uh, you're not really locked into one particular TV window, yep. right? You can and do whatever so, you want. Um, and I mean, this is a good reason why a lot of those, uh, you know, those FCS games on ESPN plus, you know, they're, they're kicking off at, at, at noon. Uh, Cause that's, that's when that is when that fan base, when that school wants yeah. them to play. And uh, that, that, that's a big thing for, uh, I, I know a lot of ADs and I, I'm sure it's being communicated to a lot of these conference offices as they go back to the table to ne- negotiate some of these. Two, deals. Quick, two, la- two quick questions here before we wrap it up and uh, give you something here to listen to for the weekend. One, uh, this is a permeation of like three different questions that I was asked about conference realignment, which happens every time I open up a mailbag, which is fine. Let me tell you the truth, friends, we are in a dead period. Um, now that Howard, uh, according to you know our friends at HBCU Game Day and Hero Sports, and I have heard this now independently myself, has indicated they're sticking around the MEAC for at least one more year. Um, don't expect any changes for several months. Um, the, the places that are actively on the hunt right now are the NEC, the NAAC, the MAC, and America East. It's all in New England. They're fishing from similar Division II, MEAC, um, potentially even one Division three institution. Um but no one's going to make any changes right now. They're, they're, they want to, I mean, getting everybody back from vacation was hard enough. They're focused on transformation. They're focused on a bunch of uh, conference administrative stuff that they've been postponing for a couple of months. There will be more news later, but the incentive to get a lot of this stuff done very quickly has wrapped up. The, the, the last recruiting, the last realignment cycle is over. Um, last very quick question. Um, comes here from reader Josh who asks, what are you hearing from the college sports industry about group licensing? I know you talk a lot about EA sports, but what's the industry sentiment on group licensing? What I can tell you is that uh, among very large org companies like a fanatics kind of company uh, or an apparel company, they love it. They wish there was more of it. They wish there was more of it that was centralized. If you are in business with the NFL or the NBA or the WNBA, you love that there's one entity that you work with and you're prepared to pay a little bit more for the, for the logistical privilege of only dealing with one guy in college, you're dealing with a kajillion people. 
Uh, you might be you might be dealing with every school's individual group licensing mechanism. Maybe you have, you have to deal with individual athletes or conferences. Um, sometimes if you're lucky with just the schools, you can work with CLC and, and then kind of do the handful of, of one-offs. But for anything on the player side, it's a gigantic pain in the ass. It's getting easier with one team and Brandar and some other companies being involved in this space, but it's developing. I think it's going to be more centralized and easier in two or three years than it is right now. And anybody that makes products that are aligned in this world <clears throat> want it that way. The other quick, very quick thing I'll say is just, hey, if you're an agent, if you're an athlete or anybody else, don't, just so you know, um, athletes don't make very much money from group licensing. If you're selling a jersey right now with your name on it, you're making like eight bucks. Uh, this is something I've heard as a source of frustration for people in this business where agents or players will call them up and ask them, why aren't we doing jerseys? Why aren't we doing baseball cards? Why aren't we doing X, Y, or Z? And then if they actually do, why am I not making a lot of money? It's like, no, what do you really makes a lot of money from this even the pros too, man? Like you, you still do it. It's still something. And schools are happy to do it because they're going to sell more of whatever trinket if the player's on it than, than if they're not. But this is not going to be the pillar of anybody's NIL or revenue strategy. That That's, it's not the way the margins on this business work. There's, there's a lot higher costs than you might think. Absolutely. And, and I think there's, there, that's why there's going to be increasing chatter over, over, I think the, the coming months and, and years just of having, uh, you know, the potential for athletes to have some sort of collective collective bargaining agreement, some sort of players association, if you want, um, on the, on the college level that would allow them to opt in for, for a lot of these agreements, because it is a messy thing uh, in terms of group licensings and anything that can make it easier, especially when, I mean, it, the average 18 year old freshman coming into college, I mean, they, they know nothing about group licensings. And even if the, like, this is a star quarterback, the Arch Mannings to bring it back around, uh, you know, to, to, to the start of this podcast, like they're, they're, they're hiring, you know, very, very high priced attorneys just to help navigate some of these agreements. And, and it's not for that all that much money. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's the one area where this industry really has some structural problems that it, that it faces, um, you know, when it, yeah. when it comes to uh, just dealing with a lot of this, I mean, the, the whole sport is so fractured, you know, between conferences, divisions, all that, and, and then uh, trying to get something done, you know, across the, the, the party lines, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's just tough. And uh, that's, a, that's why a lot of these companies, I mean, they, they just don't want to deal with it. You know, it's just easier to kind of go, all right, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to pay a little bit extra to go to the NFLPA to get, get their license. But you know what, it's, it's so much more, so much simpler. And I, I, yep. I know I can make a profit on the, that because the NFL is the, the most watched sport uh, in, in the country. So uh, as, as much as college football has a lot of growth opportunity ahead, things like this kind of hold it back a little bit. Yeah. That, that, and and uh, I think, I mean, you're, we're going to see the group license for EA sports come out. I, I believe this summer, like that, that's you know, what I've been hearing. I'm almost positive. It's going to be one team that ends up being the administrator uh, behind setting that up. Um, but that industry has a lot of room to mature. We're going to talk about, I think, group licensing more over the next couple of weeks. This is something I've, I've been kind of kicking around here. Um, I am working on a, now that I'm, I'm finally kind of getting my sea legs beyond, under me again after travel and being sick, uh, some other reporting that I'm excited to share. It's been a big week already on Collegiate Sports Connect. Um, I uh, have an interview on there with the CEO of the College Football Hall of Fame. If you're interested in that world, I have the CEO of a company that's helping to produce digital autographs and, and what that world looks like uh, for athletes and schools. I'm going to have an interview with the Division Three conference that is accepting Hartford, who is reclassifying from Division One to Division Three. We can have some stuff about Boise State Beach Volleyball and where I'm asking some serious professionals about why the sand isn't blue. 
you can find all of that. Brian's been doing a bunch of other uh, videos uh, about a, a bunch of other, you know, administratory topics that I think you'll enjoy. And then a lot of NACTA stuff is going to be on there. You might see me once or twice, maybe, maybe not. You'll definitely see Brian and a lot of our colleagues talking to athletic directors and industry leaders about what the hell is going on right now. You'll be able to find all of that for free on Collegiate Sports Connect. Um, you can, of course, also make sure that you're subscribing to the show wherever you get podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Click the subscribe button. Steal the phones of your elderly relatives. Subscribe on there. Give five-star reviews on either of those platforms as well. Strangers you don't know. Um, all of that's wonderful because that helps people find the show, helps us communicate to sponsors so we should continue to produce the show. And then, of course, uh, check out Extra Points. ExtraPointsMB.com, the newsletter that makes all of this possible. Safe travels, Brian. Have have, have fun. Uh, you know, learn learn a lot. Uh, you know, see, see if we can find some people to go talk to us this week. And, and when we come back, I can't wait to hear all about it. There will, there will be plenty to uh, to download and, and digest here on the, on the podcast. Maybe we'll even tape an episode uh, with some folks there in Las Vegas. But uh, a lot going on, a lot of content coming out of that event, and it will be good to get some ADs in the, in the hot chair and, and see what they think. But uh, yeah, follow D One Ticker, Clayton Sports Connect for for all that, and uh, I will see you next week, my friend. All right. Take it easy. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the internet.